if you uh, find an insert in your bulletin, it has sort of a, it should be in the front, just a half white sheet of paper with sort of a, an outline of what we're going to be doing today. I print that out for two reasons. One, so you can follow along with, with what's going on. Um, but also, I'm not just interested in right now as much as I am in exposing you to a lot of different passages. And this format doesn't allow for um, a lot of rigorous engagement with these passages. And I think that when we meditate on God's word, that assumes that we're going to take the time to do it. Uh, so the reason I print that off is so that you'll have the passages later. Uh, so if you wanted to, to, uh, to go back and to look at those um, you, uh, you'll have them. So I pressed start slideshow. Was that the right thing for me to do? Or should I push next slide? Excellent. Look at that. All right. So one of the more important elements of the Christian faith is that it's supposed to be passed on. And there are specific ways that the Bible outlines that it should be passed on. And I'm going to make an assertion, and I'm not going to provide a ton of evidence for it, but I think, without going into too much detail, I believe the Bible's pretty clear that, that the faith is meant to be passed on primarily in families. Um, it doesn't mean that the church or the assembled community of believers in the Old Testament, it doesn't mean that it's not important. I believe that the church is the institution through which God does his work in the world, if you uh, remember our covenant somewhere in the hymnal there. Um, I'm not saying it has no place. I'm saying it doesn't have primary place. So I think the assumption in the Bible is uh, that faith formation is supposed to take place in the family. Now, when we gather together during these times for corporate worship, I think the intention is is that we bring all that God is doing in our individual lives and in our families, we bring that corporately together, which is why this is meant to be a time where we exalt uh, Jesus in worship, where we hear his words, where we build each other up in the faith, and we're bringing all of the spiritual formation that we've been doing as a part of our individual life and our family life together so that these times become just worship on every conceivable level. Right? So the top-down mentality isn't one I think that the Bible necessarily endorses. And by that I mean that there's one holy person from whom we, we get the word. And that holy person could be anybody, right? So we, we drop our kids at Awana, we drop them at Sunday school, youth group, we come to Sunday school, we come into service. That there's one person who kind of regulates that for everybody. I don't think that that is uh, the, the best paradigm. And I think as I watch our culture move more and more in that direction, not just in the church, we, we tend to entrust too much to institutions, and we're getting away from, from life practiced in uh, family life. So we entrust education to schools, which might seem like kind of a strange, uh, well, of course we entrust education to schools. Okay, but you can't exclusively do that. Does that make sense? Uh, we're, we're entrusting too much of our formation to institutions. So when we come together, we bring all of that together so that we can confess to the Lord, we can hear his word, and we reorient ourselves around the truth, 
right? The world, um, as Rebecca prayed, I, I kind of chuckle, but like not too much because it's starting to get real. Uh, give us the one we deserve. Uh, like the world is becoming an increasingly dark place. Uh, I was Skyping uh, with a dear friend in Ethiopia, uh, and he said, we're watching your um, politics uh, with a lot of entertainment. Um, and Ethiopia is experiencing like the worst drought in 50 years. And he said, boy, you know, our, our churches, meaning our Ethiopian churches, really need to be praying for your country. Uh, like, and that's, uh, he wasn't saying it tongue in cheek. Like he's a dear brother in the Lord. And um, like globally, we watch this and there's a high level of, of concern. So when we turn to the book of Proverbs, I'm keenly interested in wisdom because at this point I'm desperate for wherever I can get it, <laughs> if, if, if that's not too uh, stark a statement. So how is the faith passed on? I've printed it in the, um, uh, just one passage there, Deuteronomy 6, um, and I printed it there because we're not going to go there in our Bibles, but it says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, there is both a family responsibility and a corporate community responsibility. So when it says that we talk about them when we sit at home and when we walk along the road, when we lie down and when we get up, this all assumes that it's happening inside the home. But if you write it on the door frames of your house, that has kind of a community uh, element to it. People coming in and out of your home are, are going to, to see that. Now, I didn't grow up in the church. So the idea of faith formation in my kids is, to be totally honest, a terrifying prospect. Because I don't know what that looks like. I, it's not a part of my experience. And I don't want to speak on behalf of all the leaders uh, here in the church, but it's becoming a growing concern of ours that not just that things aren't happening, but we don't really feel confident that we have the tools to do it. That faith formation is something we're entrusting to somebody else. And that's not to say that we don't have capable, godly, loving leaders in this church. Um, we're so, even as we saw Awana Games, I can't express my gratitude for the Joe Malins of the world, who just loves my kids, supports them in their knowledge of scripture, and really looks to come alongside them. Dale Tack is the same way, Jane, same way, that my kids are under their, uh, under their teaching in a variety of different contexts. And Marilyn, and I'm going to forget somebody, so please don't be offended if my kids sit under your teaching and I, I didn't just name you. But when we come to the parenting thing, I don't know if it's just me. Do you have a strategy for how you're forming the faith of your kids? I haven't experienced a lot of it, and I'm not faulting anybody. I think that there are a lot of people in circumstances like mine that I didn't grow up in the church, so I don't, all I know is how to get kicked out of CCD, uh, and I practically got a master's degree in that. So unless that's the ideal, I'm certainly not shooting uh, for that with my own kids, though it may inevitably happen. Can you imagine Joe Malin like kicking somebody out of Awana? Um, I, was, it was, I wasn't kicked out. I was just asked not to come back. I guess that was the, uh, the, the delicate way. And by the way, Jesus loves you. Now get out. Um, but anyway, 
So there's a lot of things that I don't know what my kids are going to wrestle with, right? I don't know what it's like to grow up and wonder if my faith is really mine. I became a Christian in college. Uh, I didn't grow up in this, so I'm not doing anything that anybody really expects me to do. But my kids growing up in that environment, uh, and Cynthia who grew up in that environment, there was always that kind of tension of, am I just doing what I'm doing because this is what's expected of me? Or is my faith really my own? And I don't think that we really explicitly teach it, right? So how many of you, and this is rhetorical, you don't have to answer it, um, have a regular time where you're sitting and reading scripture with your kids, right? Letting them ask questions. Letting them expose the fact, and I'll be gentle here, that maybe you're not quite sure what you believe, right? How many of us are opening up the doors for that kind of explicit formation of the faith that we're, we're regularly exposing our kids to Scripture, but we're letting them ask questions, we're helping them to make observations, we're admitting when we don't have a clue what that means, but we'll go and find somebody who does. Um, is that something that we're regularly doing? So one of my purposes today is just to be explicit about something like this. You could do this with any book of the Bible. I'm choosing Proverbs uh, because the statements are, are kind of fun and, and interesting, and they're like cracks upside the head from your old Irish grandmother, uh, or my old Irish grandmother. Uh, any crack? Is that probably not allowed anymore? Can grandmothers still crack kids in the side of the head, or are we just too afraid to admit that that's exactly what happens? Um, so you could do this with any book of the Bible, but they're small sort of bite-sized pieces that really demand careful attention and reflection, right? Uh, so one of my purposes is to be explicit about this, and if you're looking to up your game, this is something you could instantly apply, like today. It's not something you have, well, I have to wait till my kids are 17, and after they finish Algebra 1, then we can start to get to the faith formation stuff. Like, you can just ask them, what do you think this means? How do you see this uh, lived out in circumstances? Now, when we come to the book of Proverbs, what I really love is that they're so simple, but they're really, they really are profound in terms of a crack upside the head. And I don't know if it's just the people that I'm, that I'm dealing with. I'm just seeing a lot of it lately. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, you see a misapplication of what the proverb says. And, of course, you don't say that, like, in a staff meeting or something. We're like, oh, yeah, the book of Proverbs says you shouldn't have done that. But you see a lot that, boy, if people followed this kind of sound wisdom, or if our families were a little bit more cautious about the words that we used, boy, that'd be really something. So they're really simple, they're really profound, but there's all kinds of interesting topics Right? One of the things I love about God is that he has a perspective on everything. Right? You think that the Bible is just about salvation and getting to heaven. Proverbs talks about family life. It talks about relationships. It talks about how you should treat your animals. It talks about how we should be like ants. It talks about the environment. Like, there's just all kinds of really interesting stuff in there. And for those of you in the women's Sunday school class, you'll talk about this stuff. So feel free to pipe up and say, like, no, we talked about that. You're just, you're way off. Um, but there, there's just all kinds of things that we can learn. So when we look at the book of Proverbs, some of the questions that we might ask, and these are questions we can ask our kids, it's questions we can ask ourselves. Why is this so? Why is this behavior considered blessed? And we're going to talk about some specific Proverbs 
uh, where that will hopefully make a little bit more sense. The second is, what does this proverb reveal about God's character? Now, over and over again, we are called to be image bearers in the Bible. That's how Genesis 1 starts. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2 describes human beings as God's image bearers, which means in some yet-to-be-determined fashion, we are supposed to represent God. So these proverbs represent his character. So how do they do that? Now, proverbs are not commands. They're just short statements that are meant to be meditated on. They're meant to be memorized. Uh, The ease of memorizing them is one of their powerful tools. And it's the one book of the Bible that I'm aware of that is explicitly for young people. Go to Proverbs 1-4 and you'll see. It's explicitly for young people. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to the rest of us. Right? Noah's Ark, the story of Noah's Ark, has infinite value for all of us. It doesn't mean that we have to do kiddish type stuff. What's really interesting about the Proverbs is we're all going to apply them in our own ways. Some of us are immediately going to be confronted by, ooh, right? I'm, I'm a negative example of that proverb, um, and that's the only evidence that it's true. Um, but you can apply it in all kinds of different ways. So don't think that faith formation lets you off the hook. Like, well, I'm teaching this to my kids, but I don't really have to do this, do I? Um, kids aren't stupid, I'm finding more and more. that uh, I had a, a parent years ago, we used to do a, a book challenge at school that you had to read 40 different genres. And once I figured out that there were actually 40 different genres, the kids had to read all these books. And one student did it, and it was really impressive and, and uh, finally got to the point where she asked mom, what are you reading? And mom had to, like, whoa, you get a little bit taken aback by that. Like, uh, if Sunday school is so important, how come you're not going? Like, you get confronted by those questions, and that's legit. Uh, You need to be able to answer that question. If you think that faith formation is really important, I think your kids need to be seeing you do it as well. So to be honest and, and upfront about the ways that God is working in your life, not the way that God worked in your life, you know, when you were four, but, like, up to the minute, like what I just read in Proverbs this morning or what I just read in the Psalms or Deuteronomy or Titus or whatever, God's really confronted me of this. Um, And you talk about those things. And I I think that we could do a lot worse than that with our kids, to be totally honest with you. I've seen how the other part goes where we call them to a standard that we don't live up to. And I think that there's a large population of, of the church that doesn't really want to have anything to do with that. Like if the faith makes such a profound difference... Um, It really needs to make a profound difference. So, all that to say, we're going to talk about some specific Proverbs. So get ready. You're going to do some talking now. So everybody wake up. So the first Proverb, there are two, but there's actually more than two, but I just picked two at random, about discretion and tact. A gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. So I'm going to ask you, first of all, what does this mean? Second, why would this behavior be blessed? Right? Does that make sense? Why is this so? Why is it that a gentle answer turns away wrath? So imagine me 
It'll be hard to imagine me as obnoxious, but you just have to stretch. I was that kid in the back of the class. Like, wait a minute, what, what does that even mean? What's a harsh word? That was me. Just imagine one of your kids comes to you and says, I don't even know what this means. And while you're thinking, sometimes you've got to do a little bit of translation work. You're going to have to convey the ideas in a way that they're going to understand. So one of our favorite proverbs in our house is, uh, better is... Basically, it's like better is a plate of vegetables where love is rather than like a fattened calf with hatred. And you think, what in the world could that possibly mean? So you have to do a little bit of translation work that what it means is it's better to be contented with very little and to have love in your house than to have all of this accumulated stuff and be miserable which I think if there's any American tale, uh, that's it, right? So that's, that's one of our favorites. So you have to sort of put it in language that they understand. So what's a meal that, it's not bad, but you don't get terribly excited about it, right? So if you were telling me that you're, you're having me to your house for Thanksgiving, and we're going to have carrot sticks. Now, on any other day, there's nothing wrong with carrot sticks, but Thanksgiving, what am I expecting, You're expecting a turkey, and especially now that the Lawrences have shown us how glorious turkey can be, if you were here for the Thanksgiving service, uh, you can't ever go back, right? Now, what were we talking about after the Thanksgiving service? Talking about how good that turkey was. Now, on a sub-level, we're also talking about, was it uh, green bean casserole? I want to make sure I get that. Like, there were all these different kinds, and who knew there were so many different kinds? I believe it was Jim Edmondson who was just diligently trying every single one and cleansing the palate, and that's all good stuff, but (laughs) I'm getting sidetracked. You don't get terribly excited about a plate of carrot sticks, but what the proverb is saying is it's better to have little but to have love than to have you know, pizza with everything on it. Like, whatever image would work for your kids, every potential, I was about to say N64, but that, that would put me back about 20, yeah, I don't even want to think about how long ago that was. Uh, let's go with the Wii, like every potential game where you're just sort of miserable, right? So you, you got to think about what is the way that I'm going to communicate this to kids. So now, you've had plenty of time to think. What, is it, what does it even mean that a gentle answer turns away wrath? We got a hand in the back, Joe Malin. Exactly, right. And diffusing, I think, is a really good, uh, a good word because you're dealing with explosive uh, situations. Yeah, right. Now, how many of you, and this is going to be a little ridiculous, believe that this is actually true? How many of you have personal circumstances, either good or bad, where you are positive that a harsh word stirs up anger? Kicking the beehive 
was not as effective as you might have thought it was going to be. And all you did was escalate the situation, right? You come in hot, right? You're already angry. It's been a bad day, and you're just going to take it out on somebody. And, you know, then you meet anger with anger, I think is what Joe said, and the whole thing blows up. Now, what's interesting here, how would you respond? And, and as your kids get older, I'm imagining you can have this conversation quite a bit. Like, yeah, we could just fill the room with examples of, a, a lot of times we just have the negative example of where, yeah, the harsh word definitely stirs up anger. I'm going to assume the first part's true. I don't have any personal experience, but I'm going to assume that if the second part's true, that a gentle answer would also turn away wrath. So next time, I'm going to try that, potentially. Now, what does it say about God's character? Joe again. Yeah, because he's the only one with the rights to wipe out the whole cosmos if he wants to. Um, and this is where our view of God might be a little bit too much influenced by us. Like, we assume that God's this, like, you know, had a, had a bad day with, you know, something in the sombrero galaxy, and he comes home and he's kicking the dog. And, like, that's just not what God's like, looking to take it out on somebody. I'm going to make you sick, or, you know, I'm just going to make sure you fall, or the tire's going to fall off your car. Like, that's what we would do. Uh, it's, it's not so much what, what God does. Right, yeah. Any others? Yeah. Right, yeah. And what's interesting about that is it's kind of, there's a little bit of a paradox there. Um, a gentle answer in this case we just assume it means soft, uh, but later on in Proverbs, it says that a gentle answer will break the bones. So it's, uh, it, you can read that one later, it's, it's wicked fun. But the, but the gentle answer in the calling to be peacemakers is exactly right. In any situation, I'm called to step in and to be a peacemaker, to de-escalate situations. I'm not called to stir up um, you know, drama or all this other stuff. I'm called to a peaceable existence and to lead in that way uh, if I'm going to be considered wise. The interesting thing about Proverbs is it's not required. <laughs> These aren't commands. Like this, there's not an imperative in there. It's not a command that you have to do this. Do it or don't. You'll see the results, right? And you're cultivating a life. So if you're a person who perpetually through your harsh words and through your gossip just constantly stirs people up and incites them, that will eventually be a boomerang that you catch in the back of the head. So. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't mean that it's, you know... I, I would say that we're compelled to live this life. I'm just saying there's not a command in there. And what I'm becoming more and more aware of in the Bible is that God gives us the option 
follow me or don't, like you're cultivating a life. Uh, if you want to respond, this is what blessedness looks like. If you don't, uh, you know, you might end up with a reality TV show, but you're, you're going to hardly call that blessed. And I think that this needs to be a word that our culture hears. It's almost like this massive competition to, like, who can, who can stir up this drama? Oh, well, when he said this, did he mean this? Like, instead of nitpicking every single thing that's said and looking to suck the most drama out of every single statement that gets made, um, maybe Christians are called to a different life. I, I could be totally wrong about that, but that's, that's how I read the proverb. And he, well, I wasn't going to say shut up, Joe. Right, yep. No, absolutely. So the other thing, too, is you see how a single proverb can generate a lot of conversation, right? As we talk about this, if we were sitting across from each other, we could have the conversation of how we have misapplied this. Um, what ways does God confront you uh, through that? And to ask ourselves, who are my words about? Are my words about building up the other person? Are my words about bringing about peace and turning away wrath? Or am I just looking to incite people? Right? So you, you get to ask yourself that question. It's different for everybody. Let's look at the next one. A gossip goes around revealing secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Now, I think, again, we probably have a lot of negative examples on this one. You've either been the object of the gossip or you've been the one who's kind of perpetuating it, right? Um, so either you're the one who's doing the gossiping and you get called on that uh, or you're the one, you said something in confidence and then all of a sudden it gets thrown back in your face. What does this say about God's character? I'll leave it to your own your own wisdom to see why is this behavior blessed. I don't think anybody really seeks to be a gossip. It just sort of happens. And I always sort of chuckle that when you're in a room and gossip is happening, what makes you think when you leave the room that they're not talking about you? Or there's just no trust, at least for me. And I might be a bit more sensitive in that, in that way. But if I'm sitting at a table of people who are all talking about somebody who's not there, I'm not stupid. Uh, as soon as I get up, I'm bound to do something dumb that's going to get talked about. You know, I'm going to trip on my chair on the way out and, or, you know, something far worse. I think that in a lot of ways, this just shows a lot of insecurity. You have to do that because you don't, you're not contented yourself. So you just go around. Again, it's this stirring up of, of drama, this need, well, did you hear what she said? Like, why... I, it's one of these things that I'm trying in my own heart and with my own mouth to think, is this something that needs to be said? Like, I have a lot of meetings with people. I meet with parents, and I talk with kids all day and all this stuff. And I think, is that something that I really needed to say out loud, or is that something that I should have restrained? Um, do I need to tell Dick what... Cynthia said, like, do I, do I have to do that? Um, and then the question is, why am I doing that? Right? And a lot of times it's just this, you need to offload something or you just want to stir up drama. I don't really know what it is, but I'm trying to work on, my aunt used to call it the filtering system between your brain and your mouth. That we, we stop about 90% of what you think because that doesn't need to be said uh, out loud and just think about what we'd do to each other if we did that. 
So, what does this say about God's character? Jeremiah. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. And on the flip side, if God's not that way, who in the Bible is referred to as the accuser of the brethren? In Revelation 12. You can go ahead and look that up. So God, I'm unaware of a time where God throws sin in somebody's face. I am aware that Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. So at that point, I've got to ask myself, which team am I playing for? when I feel like I need to do stuff like that. Now, if you, depending on the age of the, the child, because we always want to come back to the practical point that this is something you can discuss with your kids about how much care we need to have in our words. Do you speak with people, or do you speak about people with reverence? Or are people just things in your house? Uh, as our kids age, this is becoming something we're keenly aware of, that anything I say in my home, I consider to be public knowledge <laughs> because my kids will make it that way. And I, I, it's a very sobering reflection and has helped my spiritual formation as much as anything that like that could be really misconstrued. So you know what? I'm not going to say it uh, because somebody could go blurt that out. Uh, and it, it, to me, is a direct application of, of this proverb. So we move on from Proverbs about tact and discretion to Proverbs about patience and temper. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Now again, we probably have a lot of negative examples, but can I ask you, has quick-temperedness ever produced anything good for you? Can you think of a time like, yes, that time that I came home and I didn't listen, I just flew off the handle. I consider that to be one of the most blessed days of my parenting when I did that. Right? And, and of course, it's ridiculous. Um, and we might not have a lot of, of the positive examples. Now, maybe you're, you're just all about this stuff and a, a patient man has great understanding and you regularly walk into your house like Solomon uh, in all of your wisdom uh, you know, you're regularly dealing with the kids throughout the day, whatever it is, maybe that's you, and that's awesome, and, and this would be an encouraging word uh, for you. I, I just, I live in Meville, where, uh, yeah, I get the second part, and I'm going to assume the first part's true, because uh, I don't have a lot of other compelling evidence to, to go on. Um, so it's not, you don't have to be totally down about it, but there's a lot of times where this comes to mind, like, yeah, there was no great understanding in that. And then you have to do the necessary, you know, backtracking and apologizing, which is something our kids see on a regular basis. Like, yeah, when I said that, I, that was just really dumb. Sorry. Dad says dumb things and, and loses control and all that stuff, which I hope at least in some sense is redemptive. Uh, the better thing would be if I didn't have to apologize and I could just, like, maybe do the right thing once in a while. But Anyway, um, Proverbs 14. What does this reveal about God's character? Can you think of other places in the Bible where um, in the New American Standard it's translated that God, it, a, a slow to anger person displays folly? Can you think of a, 
Any other times where that phrase slow to anger is used? Okay. Without the reference, I'm lost. Because <laughs> then I'm left with, as the good book says, <laughs> plant the potatoes Thursday. And there's no reference to... Though I did see, because it was MC Hammer's birthday, um, I indeed am currently too legit to quit, and it said Hammer Tinian 19, verse 91. No extra charge there, <laughs> MC Hammer. It was his 54th. 54th? Yeah, wow. MC Hammer's 54. Um, so everybody can go out and buy your parachute pants in celebration. Any other times you can think where that, <laughs> that phrase is used? Yeah, yeah. A little bit more specific. It's a big book. The what? Now, in Exodus, if you want to jot this one down, it's actually Exodus 34. It's uh, one of the great verses of God identifying himself to his people, where God basically has to hide Moses in the cleft of the rock and has to reveal himself. The Lord, uh, the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness, and God reveals his name, and God is indeed all of those things. Um, He's, among other things, he's slow to anger. James uses the same phrase. I believe it's 121. Every man should be slow to speak and slow to anger. Another good bit of uh, wisdom there. So in terms of what this says about God's character, this is, again, a really neat conversation that you can have with anybody. Uh, God is slow to anger, so we should be slow to anger, and that's how we actually show wisdom, right? Too much in popular society, the saying whatever you think is believed to be wisdom. Um, That's exactly what the Bible defines as foolish behavior. Now, I don't know when the telling it like it is uh, phase started, but if if I could just be permitted to rant for less than a minute, um, you can't tell it like it is unless you are absolute. You can tell it as you see it, But unless you know the internal motivation of another person, the working of their brain, what's going on in their heart, you're incapable of telling it like it is. The best you can do is call it like you see it. And in this case, I'm going to say a patient person has great understanding. The person who restrains what they'd like to say uh, in favor of um, wisdom. So restraint. Actually thinking about the implications of what you say before you say it. I think this is an apt word uh, for our society in all kinds of different ways. Um, So a lot of times in the Bible as well, quick-temperedness is just, it's not exalted behavior. Not something that God really seems to to commend. Any other thoughts on that before? I mean, I, I hope at the very least you can see that these could be a lot of really interesting conversations. Yeah.
Right. No, that's an excellent point. And the more restraint we show in our words, the more God can um, can kind of reveal that to us before we put put the words out there. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Any other thoughts on that one? Maybe this would not apply in your home. I don't know. It, I, I see light glowing over houses in various places in Manchester. Not currently over mine, but maybe, like, this is all already happening, and you're like, Peter, we already know this. Like, this, we're, we're ready for the 401 level here. Um, but I find that these are, are quite applicable conversations in our house. Um, uh, Proverbs 15, 31 and 32. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. He who ignores uh, discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. And I think that this is actually right to Sylvia's point, that the person who is willing to listen to a life-giving rebuke uh, is going to be at home among the wise. They're not going to be rash and impulsive in their decision-making, in their words. Um, But can you think of examples in the Bible? Now, this is where you could break it down for even really young kids. Times in the Bible where correction was ignored. And feel free. Jonah. Yep. This is where you should be digging deep back into, you could basically name anything. Because <laughs> you can talk with your kids about this. They're learning this stuff in children's church that, you know, is there a time where instruction was not heeded? Samson. Cain. Adam and Eve. Judas. Egypt. Peter. Pharaoh, Babylon, Nineveh. Right, you, you basically can't turn the page in the Bible without finding that God is ignored and correction is ignored. And the second part of the question is, in how many of those circumstances did it end well for the person who ignored instruction? I guess you're not going to come up with too many. Um, But this is where, like, for kids and for all of us, a certain dose of humility is actually a really healthy thing. You're not born into the world knowing that if you run out in the street that that could have catastrophic circumstances or consequences. You need to be taught that, right? You can't just do whatever you want. Excuse me. You can't just say whatever you want. You can't behave toward people any way you want. Kids aren't born into the world knowing that. So even if you go to, uh, it might be a simple argument, but people, people aren't going to like you if you treat them this way. Like, that's a good thing for kids to know. Like, kids are in school, at least, are part of social groups, where for some kids, they, they don't pick up those social cues, right? That the person that I'm talking to is really annoyed, and I should stop calling them names, they don't pick up on those things, so they have to be taught that. In a slightly less severe way, um, we need to be correcting our children and each other. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but in order to do that, we have to have the wisdom in place in the first place. So I guess for me, the question is, am I somebody who listens to life-giving rebukes, not just from God, but from his people? Am I modeling that for my kids? Um, or do I ignore discipline and show that I actually hate myself by ignoring the appropriate discipline of other people? Does that make sense? Like if I'm, 
I could have the I'm taking my ball and going home mentality, uh, which seems to be around, or I could in humility respond to legitimate correction and see what God could do with that. I don't have to be right all the time. I can surrender that, that need to be right, and I could say, you know what, I'm going to submit to, uh, I'm going to submit to authority on this one, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to take a posture of listening, and hopefully find myself at home among the wise. Because you always have to allow the possibility, I think, as Sylvia brought up, you could be wrong. <laughs> I don't mean to shock anybody, but you could hold an opinion and not be correct. And we have this whole psychology to us where I, it could just be me, but you will just keep arguing for a position, even like three quarters of the way into it, you're like, I don't even know if I believe this, but we're just so twisted that we'll just keep on it. Am I alone here? Is this, is this a safe place? I feel like it's just a lot of open confession on my part. And you can see why Proverbs really resonates with me because I, re- I studied it a couple years ago and I was like, yeah, wow, that's good. Ouch. Wow. And it was like every verse was just the proverbial grandma joke crack upside the head. Um, but anyway, let's move on. I think this is the last one. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What does that mean? Right. What will you become if people only affirm you in the choices you make? <laughs> yeah. um, if nobody ever comes alongside you and says, your handwriting isn't as good as you think it is. Or number six is wrong. Two plus two is not five. <laughs> now, why would you tell a person that? Because you got nothing better to... No, you, that's what you do. Like, you're playing that song really badly. <laughs> now, you got to be careful. A little bit of discretion. You don't have to... Faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? So I think the word friend here is advisable, that it doesn't mean that we're teeing off on each other. Um, you you want to make sure you're, you're sizing up the relationship appropriately. It, this isn't a license to just say whatever you want, because... The other person might not think of you as a friend, so you want to be careful about that. But when we come alongside people and correct, that's, that's a wonderful thing. That's what community is supposed to do. And I have this vision, and I'll close with this. I have this vision of a community where it's not perfect, but there's movement toward this, where our families and our marriages and our church is a light shining in dark places because we're not perfectly doing this stuff, but we're trying. We're not allowing ourselves to go with the tide of the culture and just say every single thing that occurs to you when it occurs to you. That is toxic for every possible institution. And I don't know, I can't speak for all of you, I don't even want to be around people like that because you never know what they're going to say. They're caustic, and I think they're dangerous. To be around people that you just never know, is what I just said going to be posted on Facebook? 
Or is this going to show up in an email somewhere or in a cafeteria conversation? What if the church tried to exercise this kind of wisdom and discretion in our words? What if with our families we regularly sat down and talked about these things and said, boy, uh, let's just pick a proverb a day. And there, it's a single sentence, right? I'm not asking, like, okay, read the whole book of Jeremiah in one sitting, and you got, you know, a five-year-old collapsed over. I'm like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I, I don't think it's really all that complicated, and I don't think that there's any quick answers. There used to be these whole curricula devoted to, like, this is the way you do it. Um, this is how you, I don't even remember what it was called, but it was, like, raising godly children or something. Um, so it's not even about that. But I think, at the very least, we should be having these conversations. That's my burden anyway. And if you're sitting there and you think, yep, no, I, I, don't, I don't really think so, that's fine. Um, but the more time goes on and the more I'm exposed to people inside and outside the church, the more I watch my kids grow, the more I sense what God's doing in my own heart, I really have a burden for the way I think that words are sacred things. I think that the way we treat each other uh, is incredibly important and has the biggest import for how we witness to the outside world. I think that if they looked at us and saw, not that we're perfect, but that we're willing to be reconciled to each other and we're actually thinking about ways to to build each other up, that we're confronting each other, but faithful are the wounds of a friend, that, you know, Steve can confront me with sinful behavior on my part and I don't have to take my ball and go home. Like, you know, my feelings are hurt, so I'm going to leave. That's juvenile. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. I I can... accept that as a word from God through Steve uh, because I know he's my friend. I know he wants what's best for me. And correction from God is always about that. It's not about throwing your sin in your face. It's not about tearing you down. It's about transformation. It's about God's desire to bring about change, not just by himself, but through other people. On that insert, I put some questions. There's always room to dig deeper. So I really want to give you the opportunity. Read some of these Proverbs again and ask the questions. Which of these is the most encouraging? Whom do you trust to have a vulnerable conversation about these things? Right? We might tend to look at this and say, yeah, I'm totally like that. Ask somebody else if they perceive that you're like that. Like, go to somebody and say, like, I believe that faithful are the wounds of a friend. If I were to come to you with correction, would you accept it that way? That's a vulnerable conversation. Uh, and you might want to build up to that, but that's a good, good conversation to have. Another really fun exercise is to think, who models this for me? Where do I see this wisdom in the church? Uh, and finally, which of these Proverbs made you a little bit defensive? Right? Which of them tweaked you a little bit? Uh, and God can be operative in those things. And there's just infinite amount of space to, to really dig deep into your own heart. And God, you know, guide me by your spirit into what you have in terms of my own transformation. And who knows what God might do with our humility and our surrendering these negative parts of our personality to him. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. Uh, we're grateful.